Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 17, season two of the Everyone Belongs podcast. This podcast almost didn't happen this week, but both Ben and I have been sick with the flu. No, not coronavirus, but the flu. Um, But I just got better. So I didn't know if we were going to be able to do this, but we pulled it off. Dang it, I totally forgot my water. Are you going to pour that coffee yet? I'm going to pour the coffee. Um, so did I say my name already? I forget. I'm Ben. <laughs> I'm Cammy. <laughs> and we are a group of two people. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a group? <laughs> uh, I guess that's a group, right? More well, than one? Getting into the topic of this podcast, you'll know why it's a little bit weird to introduce ourselves. Um, I'm not going to say that we're the M word. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to make you wonder. And uh, we do this podcast because we wanted to share our story of some of the transition that we've gone through in the last number of years and how this has landed us on some beliefs that we Mm -hmm. are more excited about in our life. Um, I don't know. About, I don't want to say more. I don't want to use a comparative word. I just want to say we're excited about because we feel like these beliefs are bigger and more inclusive of other people and growth and relationships. And they're relevant to where we're at now, which I think therefore does make us more excited about it. Cheers, by the way. Because of that reason. Oh, that's hot. That's good, though. <laughs> okay, this week... Man, I'm taking off my uh, sweatshirt here. There's daylight outside. This is a first. I've never seen... Well, it's been a long time since I've seen daylight while recording a podcast. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. And, okay, let's do a short introduction. Let's just get the hell into it and not procrastinate any further. Okay. So sorry if we're sniffing and uh, coughing and stuff. We'll try and do that away from the microphone, To, but we're sick. Um, we're healing. We're healing. So this is one of those episodes that some people are going to be like, what the hell? And I would just say, if you've been around us for a while, ride it out. Give us the hour, and it will be less than an hour. some people might have seen this coming. I think a lot of people, it'll make sense. Um, And also, this is one of those, like, this could be... It's such a big deal to most people, I think that it could be like the season finale. But we're like, we're just going to toss it out front because this is the order at which it happened in our life. And although we haven't talked about it much, it has had, that's kind of what we've been doing. Uh Uh-oh, Cammy, Cammy, Cammy's dying. Cammy, where are you going? All right, well, it's just me, guys. Uh, Cammy... Uh, she was a good partner for all these years and we're going to miss her. So I'm thinking maybe we'll switch, uh, this episode up to things that we appreciated about Cammy while she was here for these 39 years. She almost made it 40 and I have a lot of fond memories about her. Oh, <laughs> you're back. Oh my God. Oh, babes. Oh, you know when you try not to cough and it makes you choke on your own spit and then you feel like you're going to die? Well, that's just what happens. I feel like that happens to you more than the average person. I think it's anxiety related. (laughs) I think you do it to yourself. I'm like, don't cough, don't cough, don't cough. And then I'm like, like, sorry to die. It's horrible. It's not easy being me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, we got to get into this. Um, so I want to talk real quick, just a few kind of disclaimers, because some people are just going to read the title and then they're going to speculate. More of these are people in our <coughs> previous ex-life. They were friends with the old Ben and Cammie. And um, I want to talk about what this talk is. This talk is about questioning the ideal of monogamy. Okay, No one is saying monogamy is bad, monogamy is stupid, um, regardless of what this <coughs> podcast is titled. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> 
this isn't an anti-monogamy talk, but this is, I do think that this um, social institution um, played a very strong role in our life. And I want to get into our story yeah. of this. <clears throat> and we've shared bits and pieces of our story on season one, uh, specifically about our singleness. Um, we got married relatively early, but in that time period, let's just talk about our teen years, specifically our teen years in ministry. <coughs> Are you okay over I'm there? I'm sorry. I, I think I'm going to be okay. <clears throat> Um, one of the things I remember feeling, and a lot of these things have to be feelings, um, because, um, it's only from giving credibility to my feelings that I can begin to parse together. You know, there's like what you're taught and then there's like what you're actually taught. Yeah. And at church, our church growing up, there's a lot of things that were said some of the most important lessons were not said. Yeah. They were, but they were believed and they were taught just as explicitly. Because there's a lot of things that if you said it explicitly, it would burst the bubble of, oh, this isn't that great, is it? Or this actually is kind of a shitty thing to say. So you kind of, even in a subconscious way, I think a lot of the beliefs were cloaked to make them more palatable. And one of the things that wasn't said, but that was explicitly believed by I think almost everyone, was that it's it's better to be married. And when you're single, you're just waiting to get married. You're kind of like a sub citizen. Yeah. Um. And that's a really fascinating perspective. <clears throat> so not only fascinating is a nice word for it. <laughs> how how would you say it? It's quite limiting. Um, well, and I guess I want to be, to to tell the story, I want to get into our perspective of what did 17-year-old Cammie think of that? How well, did you, how did you feel? Well, I think it affected me negatively even back then because how did I feel? Yeah. I felt like 90% of my thoughts and actions were taken over by marriage. Really? I think so. I mean, maybe that's a high higher than it was, but I think a, a like more than half uh, were taken up with. And so I can just, the reason why I say that's negative is I, I just think there's so many other things I could have been thinking about, but I think there was so, so much pressure. Like, like humping? Or uh, like sure, my own sexuality. I mean, really? there's if if I lived in another world, if no, I lived I'm talking in... <laughs> I'm talking about seventeen year old Cami on planet Earth in federal way. What were you thinking about? What did you think about singleness and marriage? What I think I saw singleness as uh, it's okay if you're young because you're still figuring shit out. And you got time to get married. You're still figuring shoot out. That's what 17-year-old yeah. Cammy would have said. Yeah, exactly. Crud. Still figuring crud out. Um, just figuring stuff out. But I think I thought marriage was my ultimate goal in life. That, that that's what it ought to be. Did other you, than like following God. Did you ever think that you wouldn't get married? Um... Maybe I think the thought crossed my mind, but I I didn't really. I mean, I got married when I was twenty, so I know no. I'm I don't talking about seventeen year old Cammy. Did you ever think, oh, maybe I just won't get married? Um, I I might have. I don't honestly remember. I do. I th I think I kind of thought I would get married. I don't think I was one of those people that was like, yeah, I, I might not ever get married. I don't think I was that. Kind. But did you ever like think maybe I won't find the person or whatever? Because I feel like yeah. that was so, that was painted yeah. as like worse than homelessness. I was, yeah, I was worried about that. Like I was worried that I wouldn't find the one. Because the thought never then, occurred to me that I would not get married. I mean, I think it was like my worst that, nightmare. I don't. Same here. I don't think I thought that either. I think I just figured, oh, 
God will bring the one to me when it's the right time. Like I had this way of viewing it all. And in a way growing up, like we were around divorce people, although it was like fairly rare or limited because we were mostly surrounded by religious people and a divorce was like a big deal. It was like the people that we were around, if they were divorced, it's because their spouse left them or they left their spouse only if they were unfaithful. Like I don't think there's any other category where we would have been around divorced people for other reasons. And we looked down upon divorced people. But I actually think we look down upon old single people yeah more than we look down on divorced people yeah like if you were single we were like whoa what's, what's wrong, wrong with, with you? you yeah totally oh. oh absolutely which is oh sad to think and about. another thing that i remember about this time period was and i think geez i think we've done episodes on this on this podcast i don't even remember but we talked about purity culture and our, our purity movement days. Um, and I guess dating goodbye and that kind of stuff. And sin oftentimes for the single person was defined by not how it actually hurt you right now, not actually how it hurt another person or violated their consent right now, but how it violated your future spouse who you didn't even know who they yeah. were. Like they didn't even necessarily exist. Like it's, yeah. you might not even be getting married. It's not like you're engaged or something like that. But like, for example, just in case it was this, like this thing, insurance. well, it's not like just in case it's like assumed. That's what yeah. I mean. It's like you live into this um, ideal. And when we say marriage, we're talking <clears throat> about marriage, one man, one woman, no divorce possibility mm-hmm. for a lifetime. Yeah. That's the type of monogamy that we grew up hearing and believing about um so like if i i remember when i kissed my girlfriend i remember feeling like i was cheating on my wife even though i was 16 (laughs) not married you wouldn't even write me back in california (laughs) and (laughs) and that was like there was that type of thing I mean, Joshua Harris, who's apologized for, I think, a lot of this type of imagery, <clears throat> but used this type of language and I could say goodbye, and, and it was taken over by youth group circles, which is like <clears throat> any person you have sex with, which was out of my wildest dreams at this time period, you're like <coughs> essentially cheating with. Or yeah. the, the or you're like marrying them somehow. The threat was like you're taking that relationship someday into bed with your future spouse. Mm. But it's all about this future spouse, future spouse, future spouse, which yeah. kind of assumes that, I mean, I guess what happens if you never have a future spouse, like were you ever sinning against that person? Or is that like a way that we process sin against other people? Anyways. I feel is- like it was a way to keep young people in check, like to keep them from... <clears throat> messing around with their own sexuality i think it's a way to train people up in monogamy that too yeah which it's kind of funny because that's actually the theme of this episode so that maybe that's why the section is here yeah um there was also a massive emphasis um on being incomplete you know we we talked about this story in genesis what was it genesis one um yeah, like when it was just Adam in the garden. So, and God looked at Adam and said, "You're not complete." So I'm then, make you a helper suitable. Take out one of your ribs. And how for the rest of your life, like you're gonna need a helper. You're gonna need to be complete. You're gonna need a partner. You're gonna need. But it wasn't just like a partner or a friend. It was like you need to be monogamously faithfully married that's the solution here and you're not complete until you do that so i had i mean youth group culture like really reinforced this but i don't think this is strictly religious ideal at all um everything from all the disney movies i watched to titanic which was one of my favorite movies as a teenager 
all reinforce this idea that true bliss will be found in not just humanity, not necessarily God, not family, but in a singular other, other person. person that loves and pursues you as much as you love and pursue them. Right. That was the idea. Which, you know, when you say it that way, I'm like, well, that's actually kind of nice. Like, there's nothing wrong with that idea as far as the idea goes. But when you think that's the only idea and then you think that everyone should follow this idea, that's where I think you run into problems. There's a lot of people that don't fit that mold. And what do you do with those people? So I loved this idea of being in love. Yeah. Actually. Um, like, yeah, you did. <laughs> you did not make it easy for me. I'll tell you what. Um, but maybe Aww. that's the best. Like, because if I had an easy girl, that would be like kind of, I'm not the type of guy that goes after the easy thing. I like the challenge. That can be taken so many different ways. I love yeah, take it. it the way that you want. <laughs> take it the best way. I don't care how you do it. Um, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And, but I was like, I mean, I was like secretly into romance novels. Those weren't like allowed for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not even, the sex was interesting too. But I'm not even talking about the sex. I'm just talking about that being known by another and being wanted as much as I wanted them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's that phrase being in love with love or falling in love with the idea of being in love or something like that. That was me. Like I I spent a large portion of my high school (coughs) kind of fantasizing and daydreaming about this future monogamous romance. Mm -hmm. So I, Mm -hmm. we had all this drama around getting engaged, but then we were both 20 July something or other, yeah. and we got married. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, we went on our honeymoon, <laughs> and it was like, fuck <laughs> this. Uh, our engagement was really, really fun. But then, like, <clears throat> man, that honeymoon hit, and it was like marriage put a – not that I want to blame it all on the marriage because I think there was a lot of other issues, but, man – put a damper on <clears throat> on our relationship. And I don't want to paint it as like too hard because I think a lot of people actually probably have a lot harder relationships. But it was it wasn't yeah. easy. It wasn't what we thought it was going to be. It was very much a rude awakening. It wasn't like I kind of pictured um I don't know, just like getting along and having sex and being in love. But it it like stopped being that pretty quick. I mean, yeah. those were aspects of the relationship, but there was also now a lot of like fighting and crying and dealing with trauma mm-hmm. and stuff that ultimately I would decide many years later was much better. But at the time, <clears throat> I actually felt like I was being robbed of the romance that I was promised um, from all those years and all those religious books. And there was a huge Mm. emphasis like in our life and by many others that we were listening to at this time of like two becoming one. Like, I mean, any identity that we had separately, like no longer existed. We were, of course, had one house and one bank account, but we had also um, like one sex schedule, which sounds kind of weird to say, but I want to explain what I mean Mm. by that a little bit. Yeah. Because at this point, Our goal and definition of faithfulness was we believed that our sexuality fully belonged to each other and each other alone. Now, what this meant for us was that if I looked at another woman and like, and there's a fine line between appreciating beauty or if I was like, man, I could bang her. If if that thought even crossed my mind, that would be unfaithful to Cammie. Like, Cammie is the only one I should ever want to have sex with with, or think about having sex with. Um, and, by the way, th- this for us 
and a lot of people we hung out with, not everyone, but extended to masturbation. Yeah, what you did with yourself. So I didn't feel at liberty to masturbate because I felt like even that was cheating. Like you had the monopoly on my sexuality and any sexual enjoyment or pleasure that I had physical or emotional outside of you Mm -hmm. was cheating, which if you look at that for a second, let's take the word cheating out for a second. And let's just use like plain language, (coughs) not loaded, which Mm -hmm. is if I was to masturbate, Mm -hmm. that would make our relationship less value. It would diminish its value. It would make you less special to me. That was what we believed. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we (coughs) thought about it. Are you okay? Can you? Sorry. Yeah. I don't know why I'm starting to cough a lot. All right. We'll just cough that way instead of... Sorry about that. You are forgiven. Be at peace, child. (laughs) Um, And of course, so we're having, we're pumping out babies like crazy. Our sex life is, I don't want to say horrific, but I will say it was a battle. I'm, I'm like a, at this time in our marriage, I'm probably like a sex, like six to seven times a week type of guy. (laughs) You're a sex. Like, once a week, if that type of I mean, gal, it kind of it just. Are we talking about the first year of our marriage, or what are we? Uh, I'm really going for the first five to ten. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what I was. I really don't. But I mean, you're like I was. You're pregnant, breastfeeding. Once a week, if that, like it was, yeah. And I don't believe master. I'm allowed to masturbate. <clears throat> so our methodology in this time period was once again still just to fight harder because Cammie was so special to me and our friendship was really deep and I really cared about her and we're now we're raising <clears throat> two, three, four, five kids together. Yeah. And I want her, I believe that it's my responsibility to show her how special it is. She is. And I really do believe that she's special. And, and I'm like trying so hard to, because if I have a thought of another woman or masturbate, that means she's less special. And I, I really didn't believe that. So I felt like all these behaviors are tied together. So I'm going mm-hmm. to 12-step uh, groups and Sexaholics Anonymous and reading books like crazy and joining men's groups, all to try and like just fight harder for our relationship is yeah. the model we were under. Right. <clears throat> so I would say we were actually in that model for very close to two decades. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> married at least 15 years. We were doing this this battle. Mm-hmm. But I was like, fuck it. It's worth it. She's worth it. Our marriage is worth it. Our kids are worth it. We're- and we saw some aspects get better. Like things weren't as hard as they were. Oh, absolutely. Like, so. I mean, we matured and our kids started to grow up and... I would say we started to get more disciplined about certain things and your sex drive started to open up a little bit. Um, yeah. And a lot of the kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know, franticness of our younger years and insecurities kind of wore off. But at the base of it all, there's still this battle. Mm-hmm. I think which was more mine than yours because you never, I mean, your masturbation story can be told in one sentence. <laughs> Last week, I, uh, <laughs> it's not too far from the truth. Um, yeah. And what are you talking about? Your battle is my battle was faithfulness and fighting oh. for the relationship. Yeah. I think I had other battles. I mean, I had like the battle of what is, where's my sexuality and where did it go? <laughs> like, cause I had so much trauma around my own sexuality that I had to figure that shit out. But Yeah. Right. I think this was Okay, so we got to keep moving on here. Um, So I would say we've we've shared the story of how we started going to counseling about three years ago as Mm -hmm. a result of being excommunicated um, from our community. And at the time, it wasn't excommunication yet. It was a spiritual discipline process. And I'll never forget this one appointment that we went to. 
and our counselor who wasn't talking about a problem we were having. He was using another couple as an example. Mm -hmm. And he said that this other couple, the guy looked at porn. And uh, the woman, well, the woman said, the wife said he looked at porn. And our counselor very calmly Mm -hmm. looked at her and said, so how does this impact you? Question Mm -hmm. mark. And something about that question stuck with me and jogged me because we were never in an environment where a follow-up question was necessary. Yeah. If someone said, Ben looked at porn, everyone in the room would have looked at me and said, like, you fucked your marriage over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you don't care about your spouse enough. You're the problem. You're the problem. The porn's the problem. And by the way, I completely agreed with that diagnosis. Yeah. So I say everyone, but I wasn't like a victim. I mean, mm-hmm. and I did this to other people. This was... Yeah. It was the only way to look at that whole issue was was that way. Which, because there's... And there's a couple ways we could look at it. One is like, oh, it's sin. Like, I shouldn't be looking at naked women that I'm not married to or something like that. But I think the biggest, the most emotionally compelling one was every woman I look at that I'm like, oh, she's attractive. Her tits are nice. That's love that comes out of your pile that you're not getting. Right. Or, 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 yes, that. It's also somehow demeaning me because you find someone else also attractive. It's like, oh, well. That's a blow to you then, Cammy, isn't it? Which there was one time I remember getting caught looking at porn by you. Because you were pretty fucking out to lunch. I, like Yeah. And I didn't do it. Well, I I don't I don't know how much I did it actually, because I don't really have this was like before porn was this. super popular. Yeah. Um like yeah. online and it and I was I went all over the the map with frequency. I mean there was times I gave it up for six to twelve months and then there was times where I'd still do it every day. Um yeah. But the time that you walked in, yeah. it was one of the most, it was just like, oh, crud. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I just, it was like, it was like I was fucking another woman, like a hooker. Yeah. And you walked in and caught me. And I just was there with my pants down looking at you and be like, no, baby, you're the love of my life. But then it had no weight. And I remember feeling uh, traumatized by walking in and seeing that on so many different levels (laughs) for me. Uh, Yeah, I like didn't even know how to process it. It was it was I, I think I actually wouldn't have said this back then, but I think I felt like dang it, I wish I hadn't walked in on him. Like, that I, I wouldn't have to deal with this. Then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was there anything good, you remember? <clears throat> you had never seen porn. And you I didn't did. even, like, sit and analyze this, but you, like, just, just the fact that it existed in your marriage was, yeah. like, now this daunting thing. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. And we could tell stories after stories of couples that have been divorced over this type of shit, like, but that's not really the point. Um, So the second... but. Just this question that this counselor asked, I think what it did to me is it showed that, oh, maybe there's a possibility that a man's sexuality, there's a part of it at least, that belongs just to him. And if that's true, I mean, I'm saying it from my perspective, but if that's true, then there's a part of a woman's sexuality that belongs just to her. Yeah. And, you know... What happens with porn and masturbation? There started to be this question mark now. The other thing that started to come up in our counseling was divorce. Once again, this wasn't our issue, but this is just hearing examples that our counselor used. We went into um, therapy very um, polarized. We were very, um, what's the word he used? Where we were very black and white and very... Binary? Binary, yes. Like... There was right and wrong, mm-hmm. and there was good and bad, and divorce was wrong, always. It should be like the last resort. And one of the things our therapist did was he was like, he kind of like gave us these fictional examples every once in a while where he would say like, 
So what would you say to a woman that's like being abused by her husband? Would you say she shouldn't get a divorce? And in the past, I just would have been like, no, she shouldn't get a divorce. Because like the marriage, like sacrificing the monogamy or the marriage or the, the hope for romantic love in the future was one of the worst things you could ever do. Mm-hmm. And I guess like where I want to go with this is the basis of this, the basis of believing that you should not sacrifice the romance and the marriage and the love and the exclusivity was because not only was Disney teaching us this, not only was Titanic teaching us this, but the church was teaching us this, not just for humanity, but Mm -hmm. we believe that that's what our relationship with God was like. Yeah. That God had chosen us specially and Mm -hmm. uniquely and exclusively and that he was holding us uh, tight to his bosom and we were the apple of his eye. And that marriage was supposed to be the ultimate picture of God's relationship with us. So if we fucked marriage up, then it was going to show everyone else, all the non-believers, it was all going to show them, I guess, that it would tarnish God's name somehow. And because I had this like Disney titanic view of marriage or at least what i wanted marriage to be which is why my honeymoon was so crushing or challenging to me that's how i at least interpreted what i was being taught at most churches about what god's relationship with us Mm -hmm. um was gonna be yeah and i don't think it's a stretch i think that there's a lot of people that actually flat out teach this stuff um so with, um, I don't know, getting into counseling, um, we started to now question, like we got separated from our community and getting separated from a community, like I read some comment, I eventually blocked this person cause she was pissing me off. Um, cause I don't think she like listens to anything we say. Um, and when we got separated from our community and we already talked about what our beliefs about the Bible started to be and things like that. There just started to be this domino effect where it's really weird, but I've heard a lot of people say this, everything starts to fall apart. And I'm not even saying that in a bad way. Mm -hmm. It's just like you realize I thought everything was this little robust double walled box that we had like built and was super secure Mm -hmm. And you come to realize it was like a fucking house of cards. Well, so much of our belief, I think my belief system was held together because of a group of people, because of a tribe or people that, I don't know. And I didn't really think that that was true. Yeah. Like I thought, um, but like once, once that group of people dissolved for me, it it gave me permission to think for myself because I didn't have this group of people to think for me. And once I started thinking about for myself, it's like, ooh, watch I realized, out, Pandora's box. I realized that when I was in the group, there were certain places my mind would not go. Yeah. And I thought exactly. it was my choice. And I think part of it was. Yeah. But I think deep down, actually seeing what happened to us, it was also because I knew if I went there and questioned it, I would either be kicked out or accused of something because you can't just start questioning these things and be okay yeah there's got to be some kind of psychological term for group thought like the reason why you shut off parts of your brain so long story short i want to share this definition of codependency that i just pulled up on wikipedia which is a behavioral condition in a relationship where one person enables another person's addiction poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. Now, what I've observed, um, a lot of in our life that my obsession with monogamy created uh, within some of the spiritual circles we were raised in was it created this absolute blind eye to 95% of life. Mm 
<clears throat> and I'm going to give you one example. In this culture, not being divorced, aka staying married or being monogamous, is one of the highest um, methods of assessing someone's spirituality. Mm. So therefore, when you walk in a room, like so, something that was very common was like, hi, I'm Ben. And very quickly, like you, you don't want to be all flashy about it because we are not wearing these like literal trophies, but, but it's because it's so heavily weighted, it, it's one of those pieces of information you can't go too long without knowing either. Mm -hmm. So the conversation very quickly lends itself towards like, oh, are you married? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, how long have you been married? Which could also be determined by how many kids do you have? Mm -hmm. Which could also be determined by like, how old were you when you got married? Or like, there's all these different ways of getting to it. The, yeah. But the bottom line is, if you've been married for 30 years, people are going to be like, oh shit, we should listen to them. And if you've been married for one year, people will be like, eh, they're rookies. Like, give them a little respect. <clears throat> and if you're not married at all, well, in a lot of circles, you may as well just be ignored. Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> So what, what I started to notice, though, was that in our families and in our church circles, they would have these celebrations for people that had been married for 50 years. And it would be this huge celebration. But the relationship was this kind of like codependent, fucked up mess that was really like, to me, it was like a, an atrocity. Like, it felt like these people were facilitating and bringing each other down in life. Mm -hmm. Like they weren't making each other better. Like their only accomplishment actually was that they didn't get a divorce. Yeah. And that's actually what the church was celebrating by saying 50 years of marriage, good work, congratulations. Like you didn't get a divorce. And it was like, oh, but your life sucks. Your kids hate you. Like you have this massive like wake of destruction that goes unacknowledged. And you don't have sex with each other, but it's like, good job. You can, we're, like, that's what we're supposed to celebrate. Like, yeah. that's what monogamy is or leads to, or that's like, that's it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's actually what monogamy needs to be. So I'm not just trying to create a, a straw man and tear it down. But I guess I want to point out that there was when you emphasize monogamy as being one of the main goals so heavily, there was a disproportionately high number of people that were monogamous, sometimes barely, but it was a fucking empty shell of an existence that I didn't want to model my life after whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, and if there wasn't the social pressure of you need to stay together, then so many of those relationships would have dissolved and probably should have dissolved. Um, but because there was so much pressure to stay together, they stayed together. So I think because of where we're at, like actually on the Fight for Together podcast, I remember there's a number of times where we would introduce ourselves and we would say, this is maybe a couple of years ago now, we'd say, hey, I'm Ben. Okay, I'm me. And we've been married for 19 years, blah, blah. And I realized that the reason why I would say that I've been married for X amount of time was it was kind of like my cred yeah. in that world. It was like my bling. Right. You know, to say we have six kids mm -hmm. and are happily married um, was my status symbol in that old world. Mm -hmm. And that status symbol does two things. One is it told me that I still wanted to belong to that other world. And it also signaled to people outside that world. And this is what I didn't realize it signaled to people outside of that, like, what if other people have married for 12 years or two years? Or what if they never got married? They've just, like, been together for 19 years. It kind of was my way, and I don't think the church realizes mm. they do this, but it signals to them, you guys are kind of less than. Mm -hmm. I view you as less than. Yeah. So as kind of an experiment, we stopped saying that. I mean, it started off yeah. as a joke for people that remember that podcast episode. We were just like, that's why t this today started off kind of rocky and funny, because we were like, I'm Ben... I'm Cammy, and we're partners. <laughs> You're like, and we're a group. <laughs> well, that's what I said today. But back in the day, yeah, yeah we, we were just like, I don't want to use our love or relationship as cred for a certain subsect anymore. Yeah. Um, in that world, because actually we were starting to fall out of love with that world more and more, and it was falling out of love with us. Mm -hmm. Um. 
But this is by no means us deconstructing monogamy at this point. Um, but I want to share another similar idea that came to me around this point by an author named Walter Brueggemann, who I've mentioned before. He's an Old Testament scholar, and he wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance. And he tells a story there about um, the people, the Israelites leaving Pharaoh's land in Exodus and going into God's promised land and how this idea of the plagues and the Passover and the Exodus is really like the primary central story of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew scriptures. And he says, like, and when I heard him talk about this, this was maybe like eight years ago, it was so important to me because he said, the Exodus is so important because you need to understand, like, what were the people leaving? I mean, in one sense, it's obvious. It's like Egypt. But was it just Pharaoh? Was he, he just a bad guy? Was it just like slavery, like actual physical slavery? And he said, God was delivering people from Pharaoh's economy. That was the word he used. And then he went down a list of a number of things, might have been 10, that depicted Pharaoh's economy. And the number one that I remember was scarcity. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh's economy and Pharaoh was pushing scarcity, that there's a scarcity of glory, love, food, and resources, and I need to have a disproportionately high amount of them and control them. Isn't that what capitalism is? Yeah, probably. I don't I don't know. There's I think I think capitalism is based upon scarcity also. Yeah. Which kind of promotes this fear and you work to build your pile higher. Yeah. Um, but God in the wilderness, and this is what the Ten Commandments were based off of, were meant to refute They were meant to refute Pharaoh's economy and to show people what God wanted his economy in the desert to look like and represent, which was not scarcity. It was the exact opposite of scarcity, which as the story goes, the people were fed by what manna and quail and stuff. Yeah. Um, Okay. All that to say. So, and this is the basis for my knuckle tattoos, by the way, because I believe this concept so strongly of wanting to deliver people, including myself, from mindsets that are slavery mindsets into freedom mindsets is I realized all of our perspectives on monogamy were based upon scarcity. Hmm. It said there's a limited amount of love. If I look at the hooker (coughs) or the centerfold, (laughs) then that's, I have like a hundred units of love. I just gave her three. Right. That's three less that you have. Now you only get 97. Right. Bummer. Bummer for you. <laughs> Cause you were supposed to get a hundred. All right. Ugh. Dang it. <laughs> um, and not only that, the place that this got really interesting for me was actually, with God, we believe this very strongly too. We believe God has to hate sinners or unsaved people or, um, <coughs> geez, what were the um, the bad words we used? The unchosen, the unelect, or mm. um, not his people, whoever those were, his enemies. Because him hating them showed how much he loved and chose us. You know, and there's that, that classic text that's used to death is, Romans 9, like, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Like, I mean, Esau, all the amount that he's chose, unchosen and unloved is all to magnify how much Jacob is loved. And we used that verse and that idea, and we ran our entire lives with it. Yeah. And it was all based on this idea, I think. I mean, this is what I started to come to see. And I started to wonder if, does me appreciating a beautiful lady, Mm -hmm. does it mean I, does it have to mean I love Cammie less? Yeah. What if Cammie's okay with it? What if the beautiful lady's okay with it? If I'm okay with it, then people will say, oh, well, you're either brainwashed or you're, um, you have a really low self-esteem. They do that because they believe that you're being loved less. 
That I'm settling for less somehow. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, no woman should settle for less than 100 love right, unit points. Right. What if I have 110? Or what if loving people, because <clears throat> what's weird about this is every other model that this is in, mm-hmm. I don't think we see it this way. Like, for example, yeah, when you have a kid, right? everyone says, oh, you're going to love this kid to death. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. And it was true. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's always worried, right, with their second kid. Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, shit. Like, I loved this kid with everything. Now, all of a sudden, the second kid number two shows up, it's like you can't love kid number one with everything. You have to love kid number two with, in fact, almost everything. Because if mm-hmm. you don't, they're fucking going to die because they're little helpless little naked rats. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you feel like you're letting down kid number one. But there's a transition period. And then what I learned with six is I feel like right now, Rainier in my life is helping me love Dove better. Mm-hmm. I think every child that we've had has increased my capacity to love. Yeah. Not every day or <laughs> across the board. I think this scarcity love monogamy mindset also has a really low, I don't want to, I don't know, low isn't the right word, but like for fragile view of humans too like that humans only have so much love to give and then if you tap them out oh my gosh then fuck oh uh, i totally forgot to turn on my okay you got it we didn't turn on the oh that's so uh, much better oh sorry good thing we caught that at some point but it just seems to me that it's it's so the view that you have on yourself or just human humanity in general is that like, Oh, we're so fragile and we have so little to give when it comes to love that you better hold on tight to, you know, this one relationship or, um, it just seems, it seems like a kind of a sad story to me, like a, like, is that it? Is that all we have to give? Yeah. Yeah. So around this time, we started experimenting with um, how much we were going to fixate on marriage. <clears throat> and a few things that we did very practically, besides calling each other partners, was I took off my wedding ring which wasn't like a super sacred thing to me because I got it just... You got it like, what, 12 years into our marriage? (laughs) I didn't have a wedding ring for the first 12 years anyways because we never exchanged them. And then it never fit right. Is that correct? Or did you get it? Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Anyways, not that we need to disclaim why you took your wedding ring off. I just stopped wearing it. I was like, yeah, I don't want to... Whatever that status thing is... If our relationship is strong enough to have it, I don't want the wedding ring to be the thing that that yeah. represents it. I don't yeah. know. What, I, it's hard to explain. It's kind of it. like being in a club, and it was kind of a club. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's a club I didn't really want to be in anymore as far as like in-in. So I actually more recently, around the same time, but more recently, switched my – this is just – just the engagement ring <laughs> that Ben gave me. Um, of course, I had it on my left finger. And it just like, it's like one of those things where I like looked at it and I was like, this doesn't symbolize who I am anymore. But I didn't want to not wear it because it still meant a lot to me and to you, um, the ring itself. Yeah, I paid 229 bucks for that thing. <laughs> I mean, it meant a lot emotionally. Oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely. What the hell? <laughs> um, anyways. Sale, actually. So I switched it to my other hand and called it good. And I've pretty much gotten used to it. And we went through, actually, a series of... Um, We've been through some things. There's some stories to tell that I don't want to get into here because we're just not ready to share them. And I don't think it actually, well, we're just not ready to share them. I was going to say it wouldn't serve the point, but actually it would definitely serve the point. Um, so I'm not going to make up fucking excuses. 
I'm just going to say that's not the focus of this episode. Um, so stay tuned for that. But I do want to just focus on some of the lessons we learned in this time period for some of these very, these, these emphasis shifts in our life. And I think we started to ask this question. At first, it was like, if we don't have to stay together, what's keeping us together? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not these lifelong marriage vows. And I saw this um, I saw this video that was really helpful for me. It was just one of those Instagram videos. And the guy said, you know, he was talking about lifelong marriage vows that especially Christians um, or spiritual people make where they say, till death do us part. And he said, death of what? Because, you know, most people are talking about physical death. And I, I, I get that. That was what we signed up for when we made that vow. But so much of our life had changed. We had died in actually so many metaphorical, emotional ways. We were such different people. Um, I mean, really, our faith as we knew it had died. The faith under which we made those vows. Our God had died. The God that we viewed under those vows. Those vows. Um, Sorry. That was cute. Vows. <laughs> like, yes. God is dead. Okay, <laughs> move on. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're going to go to hell. Um, until we talk about how we don't even believe in that next week. Um, so, um, Stay tuned. Anyways, I guess one of the conclusions I want to say that we came to in this time period in answering all these questions and seeing like, Oh wow, we still stuck around and we were still like actually best friends and we still worked the hell out of our relationship, but we were no longer like letting monogamy both protect and define us. And it did this really strange thing where it, I think it forced us to like, in some ways work harder. And what I realized was monogamy, I think was keeping us from facing our insecurities you know how there's those women, for some reason it's always women, that are like, oh, you shouldn't wear that swimsuit to the beach. I never wear that stuff. I'm modest. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're fucking insecure. Of your hips. Or you're scared. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. And I'm like, because I see what else you wear and the way you flash around your money and the way you flash around this on social media, like, you're not like modest. You're choosing what to be quote-unquote modest with. Yeah, so Christians... <laughs> Are, are fucking wizards at being able to drop Bible verses as motivations for things. When in reality, a lot of women, in my experience in the church, were insecure and they used the Bible to defend that insecurity. But insecurity is very different from modesty. Mm-hmm. Insecurity is I can't do that. Modesty is I can and I'd be fine with it, but I choose not to. Yeah. So what I started to realize with our monogamy was because I think in a lot of ways I was afraid of being alone and I was afraid I wanted to feel special like that God had chosen me and that was the theology I was handed Mm -hmm. that when I stopped believing in those things either with God or you that that would make me less special and that was really scary to me Mm. and I had to ask myself is my specialness based upon a bunch of other people not being as special Mm. both either on this planet being married to you or with my theology with God. And I realized that that monogamy protects people from having to face that. So that people claim to be romantically, helplessly devoted in love. I don't think they're as devoted in, in love to a person oftentimes as they are to the idea of monogamy itself. Yeah. Because it's so damn convenient to and self-reinforcing to believe. Yeah. And I see like the ways that we face God in prayer mm-hmm. were all like this romantic monogamous perspective where he was like unshared and exclusive. And it was really, it's actually very recently, Cam and I both read this book called Sex at Dawn, which mm-hmm. I cannot recommend because it is fucking boring as hell. Unless you're just way into sex, which I am, in which case. I really liked it. Like... Because I felt like it really helped me understand human sexuality. I liked it too. I just can't recommend it. Yeah. It it was too dry. Well, as far as this subject matter goes, it might be the best out there. So what, so 
one of the topics they talk about is other cultures, which some are current, some are conjecture, because um, they're like prehistoric cultures. Um, but some of the modern cultures they talk about are these non-monogamous cultures, which, by the way, we haven't even talked about this. Most of the Bible is non-monogamous cultures. You know, so if you're going to be a biblical person... Except for the Israelites, but even they were... No, they weren't even... Like, most of the time, they weren't. I mean, Solomon had a biz- fucking bazillion wives. Yeah, but, David but had... God, like, warned him against that, right? Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> and, I mean, there's a few verses in the New Testament that are like, the elders should have, like, maybe one or two wives or something yeah. like that, you know? Like, a little yeah, more no. particular. Um, so this isn't, like, to, to say monogamy is, like, the only way spiritually is a relatively new... Um, and fringe belief historically and internationally. <clears throat> so this book, yeah. Sex at Donna, it paints this picture of cultures that exist today where in the tribe, it's kind of assumed that you're going to like fuck around and you raise the kids together. And it's actually, if you start to, if Cam and I start to develop a thing where I'm like, she's mine, that, mm. that one's mine. Mm. And she's special to me and I'm special to her then the rest of the tribe actually looks down on you because they see that type of engagement as threatening and less loving to the tribe. Mm. That type of ownership, which is what it is. It's like saying like, no, you're mine and I'm mm-hmm. yours. And which is, was really fascinating to me because yeah. the way we grew up, the exact opposite was true. If you That was security. That yeah, was... if you had eyes for someone else... <clears throat> it was assumed, oh, your marriage is going to fall apart. And this other tribe, and, and it's not just one, but they're, But I'm kind of like creating an, an amalgam of examples. Shit, we got to go with time here. Um, so this is when I think... A number of things have happened, and I really don't want to make this sound as if I don't want to religiously justify our actions, because that's not how or why this happened. We kind of left the need to prove things biblically a long time ago. So if the, if you're turning this into a Bible lookup thing, like you win, we lose, go away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but but one of the things that we did do is we'd go back to the Bible and be like, oh, I wonder, that's weird. Like now that we have this mindset, it, it caused us to be open to look at things a little bit differently. And one of those things was God's love. And I started to imagine and, and read about and look at and wonder if maybe God's love was never about exclusivity. God's love was actually about inclusion and being able to hold it all together. What made him really unique was be, being able to hold the the behavior that was classified as sin and the behavior that was classified as not sin together. And Jesus was able to hold together the death and the life. And God and Jesus like represented a lot more than that. And his, in a lot of ways, his actions on this planet were less about, because he did this crazy stuff, right, where he hung out with prostitutes mm. and he hung out with all the criminals. And we might say, like, oh, Jesus was teaching us to hang out with prostitutes and women and criminals. But actually, if you look at a broader perspective, he was actually teaching us that it was less about women and criminals and more about how the boundaries that we created were fake. They weren't even real. Mm -hmm. Whatever image we have about like, oh, I'm this sex and you're that, or I'm not bleeding and you are, or you collect those type of taxes and I don't. He was like, you guys are fucking Mm make-believe. Because in my world... Those lines don't exist. They don't. Those lines don't matter. They mm-hmm. don't need to matter. Yeah. Um. There's no in. There's no out. There just is the reality that he can embrace. Mm-hmm. And I think you know so much of our monogamy was this ultimate in and out and line. And I think we started to realize: is this like? a social construct that we created because we couldn't handle being alone and we wanted to feel secure and good about ourselves? Or is it really like that important to God that you find one fucking person and you better find him young because otherwise you're going to be trying not to jack off an awful lot. So you find around the age of 13 and you stay with them till you're 95 uh-huh. and you fuck them and only them and you never think about fucking anyone else. 
and every fuck needs to be with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it special. Like, and that way of seeing the world started to feel a little... Claustrophobic. Yeah, I was going to say silly, but the whole thing isn't silly because I, I, I want to be clear again. I'm not against monogamy. Um, in fact, I want to move into maybe... Oh, my gosh. We got to go. I'm late. I want to get into, finally, how we see monogamy now, which is I see monogamy as a tool, uh, a tool that's been very helpful for us for uh, 19 plus years, coming up on 20 years. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a better tool than it is a perfect ideal. Mm. You know, when you hold it up as the ultimate in all. That's where I think it gets dangerous and very limiting. And in some ways, like there's a metaphor there. Like, I think there's a valuable lesson. Like, it is nice to be loved by someone and to hold hands and to feel that feeling. Like, I love that. But we all know that comes and goes. And maybe that's, like, more of a metaphor than the goal itself. Hmm. Maybe it's a stand-in for something that's actually more valuable or something that's more possible among a broader range of people in humanity. And I guess the questions that... I would ask people that are engaging in monogamy, which I'm all fine with, is does your view of monogamy promote scarcity of love? And if so, is the scarcity real? Because what I've found is scarcity is great for short-term goals. Like when we're playing racquetball, we feel like there's only one winner and it's not going to be you. I'm not fucking losing a day. I'm not going home a loser. So I'm going to kick your ass. So we're like running around like crazy being like, this point really, really matters. I got to do it. There's not enough points out there. Like I got to get them all. And I do. And then I'm like, it fucking makes me work hard. I play well at racquetball. And, and then I, you get a Gatorade. And then I want a Gatorade. But that way of viewing life does not help me over the long run. That works for 15 minute spurts. You can't go your entire life believing there's not enough points out there. I mean, you can, but that's not the type of life I want to live. In the end of the day, I believe we're all good racquetball players. Like none of it, it really doesn't really matter. Like I don't need to beat you to be, to have fun at the game. Like mm-hmm. we can all like be quote unquote winners or whatever. Um, yeah. So then I would ask along the veins of codependency, is your perspective of monogamy promoting ongoing growth in your life? If it is fucking great, go with it. Have fun. at it. You know, no, no problem. No worries. I'm not trying to talk anyone out of it, but if it's not, Maybe you need to like rethink what you're devoted to. And this is where like Peter Rollins, who I've mentioned a lot, has been very helpful to me in a number of his books and podcasts. And and in his latest podcast about scapegoating on the liturgists, he says this thing that's so funny. He, he says the same thing again and again in many different ways. And he says that ironically, most atheists and Christians are very similar. They both have this lack inside of them that they desperately lean into this belief system to try and cover up. And in his book, Divine Magician, he says, what we need to really be careful of isn't the belief system that we have. It's why we go to the belief system that we have. Hmm. If you go to a belief system because you're uncertain and you're confused and you want clarity and security, it taints the belief system itself. You know, if if you think Jesus came to deliver that for you, like security and peace of mind, it's like you have a, like you're reading the book wrong or something. And I think in a way, like I approached monogamy, lonely, uh, not wanting ambiguity not wanting i was like afraid of rejection and i was like this is the perfect tool to lock me into a lifetime of feeling loved and secure yeah and providing that for someone else too it wasn't just one way but after a while i was like what if love or relationships were never meant to do that to us mm-hmm. you know So I I guess I just want to leave with this question. Could it be that we idolize monogamy because we are afraid of the loneliness that acknowledges when we don't agree on a solution? 
in a lot of ways, it's fascinating how we disagree on so much, but yet in a few things, we all love our veterans. <clears throat> we all kind of love idealizing, idolizing, turning them into heroes, essentially turning violence into heroism. So we're all kind of agreeing, hey, like... As long know, as it's violence directed the right way. Yeah, directed out there to another country. Mm-hmm. And as long as you, you know, it doesn't matter if you vote left or right or believe in this or that about pro-life, as long as you honor a veteran, you're like, oh yeah, we're kind of the same. And I feel like in the same way with monogamy, not everyone participates, not everyone like, uh, <coughs> I don't know, not everyone is successful at it, but everyone kind of agrees, oh, hey, that's the best out there is to be in love with yeah. one person for the rest of your or life. Or be committed to one person for the rest of your life. I wonder if that's like really, I wonder why we all agree so much on that. Is it because we really are into the idea of pouring ourselves out for another and believe that's actually the best way to learn and grow and do it? Or is it more of like, is is there something else going on? I don't know. Okay, that's it. I got to go. We're late. We went a minute, an hour and six minutes. Um, Thanks, guys. maybe there's like... no other solution. Like there's not a, no one's thought of an, another solution other than monogamy. A solution as in like, I don't know. Anyways. See you next time. <laughs> I have no idea where you're going with that. I feel like you kind of went there. You kind of didn't go there, but I like it. Yeah. I'll be monogamous with you tonight. We'll see. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> dang. I'll put my wedding ring back on. <laughs> I promise. I'll be faithful to you uh, and you alone. Um, okay. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, if I would love to hear some of the ongoing discussion um, about this topic. Some of it will go on. There's a private Facebook group. Um, that The link is in the description. And uh, this podcast is available on itunes and all the major google play spotify blah blah blah, and also on youtube if you're interested in seeing the video version there um, you can leave us a comment on youtube we read all of those uh, unless we block you um (laughs) (laughs) which happened this week uh thanks guys uh we'll see you next week peace out